Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. If you've listened to my podcast before, you may have heard me extol the benefits of multiple income streams, multiple income or revenue streams. Now, to be clear, a nine to five job or whatever hours you work may be necessary for health benefits or other fringe benefits. And that's fine if you can find a full time job that's willing to pay you and provide those benefits to you. They're not as plentiful as they once were, but it pays, in my estimation, to have another source of income. For example, your nine to five job may disappear. Your employer may go out of business or your employer may move the job to another location, another state, another country, and you may not be invited to join your job. So where does that leave you? If you have another income stream, you can rely on that even if the income stream is not as robust as your full-time job. It may be your linchpin to getting another job. It may help you survive until you can find another job. It's better to have and not need than to need and not have. The other benefit is if you have a full-time job and you continue to have a full-time job and you have another source of income, you can use that income to save toward maybe some a big purchase or an investment. You can use it to collaborate with friends or family or like-minded people on an entrepreneurial endeavor. There are options. It gives you options that you might not otherwise have. Just something to think about. Now, Michelle Faust is my guest today. And Michelle's LinkedIn page describes her as lemonade legend, storytelling strategist, author, magazine publisher, and podcast host. Michelle describes herself as someone who specializes in amplifying the voices of people who have experienced breakthrough moments in their lives, turning lemons into lemonade. Now, let me give you just a little background on Michelle Faust. She is the founder of Lemonade Legend, a company that offers both print and media exposure through her anthology series, digital magazine, a publishing house, podcast, virtual stages, and now as a producer of two TV shows featured on the Zandra TV network. 
Now we're going to ask Michelle about the Zandra TV network. I did a little research, but I'm not as familiar as I'd like to be with that media platform. Michelle's mission is to create the largest storytelling distribution network in the world. The inception of the Lemonade Stand started with her own realization that she herself has a story. Her story is a story of learning how to acquire a fearless attitude due to having a severe hearing loss, which impacted her own self-worth and created limiting beliefs. After 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry, Michelle elected to leap into the entrepreneurial world and follow her heart, what I believe is her passion, which ultimately led to the creation of Lemonade Legend. Welcome, Michelle. How are you today? Thank you. I'm great. I'm doing fabulous today. Well, hopefully this is going to work out the way I want it, but I have my doubt. Well, all we can do is give it our best and move forward, right? And for our listeners, I'm severely challenged technologically, and this is a new platform that I'm recording on, and it's my hope that I'm doing it correctly and that my podcast provider will be able to transcribe the interview with Michelle so that you will have the benefit of her experience, her tips, and anything else she wants to share with you. So now, well, you know, the worst case scenario, Beverly, is we can always do it again when I get back to the state, too. That's true. <laughs> so that's true, because Michelle is in another country. So it's an international recording. And I've had very poor experience with international recordings. And since we're in the middle of or almost to the at the tail end of the Olympics, I tried to interview an Olympic athlete from Canada. He was one of my clients and he was kind enough to, you know, take the time to record the first interview, the interview the first time that is, and it didn't record. And he was gracious enough to come back and do it again. And it didn't record. I felt so bad, but I did take notes of his interview because I wanted to use it in my book. So he is reflected, his, his comments, his tips are reflected in my book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. So at least I did capture some of it. It was a complete loss, but I appreciate your offer and I may have to take you up on it. Now, <laughs> you say you transitioned from the pharmaceutical industry to become an entrepreneur. Tell us about that. I mean, you're just a whirling dervish. You've got all kinds of businesses. Probably too much, to tell you the truth, but I do have a lot going on. But fact of the matter is, is I did not choose to leave pharmaceuticals. I was fired. Pharmaceuticals is famous for that. You know, if you're in it long enough, it's going to happen to you. And I was fortunate to get a 20-year run. And I was at the top of my game. I was winning sales awards, all of it. You know, it just threw me for a loop. It was the last thing I expected. But management changes, they want different faces, you know, in their team, whatever the reason, that's what happened. So it was really, but it was a choice because I didn't want to go back into pharmaceuticals after. Can we just stop there for a moment and talk about the termination, the firing? Because so many people lose their jobs for whatever reason, whether it's a restructuring, reorgan, however, whatever they call it. Whatever nomenclature is used, it's still, we want you to leave. 
It's not your decision. We're deciding for you. And that makes people feel a certain way. How were you able to successfully make the transition? Well, quite honestly, I was devastated. I'm in a heap on the floor most of the time, you know, just trying to figure out how to get up and go on. You know, it's a devastating thing to lose your job. Anybody. Sure. For me, you know, there's a slight caveat in that I had to work twice as hard as anybody else because of my hearing loss. I was successful because I learned to adapt to my disability. And and my sales technique was to really pay attention to my doctors, my customers, to focus on them. I couldn't afford to turn away. I was 100% focused because I read lips, I read body language, all these things. But in the end, all those alternative ways of communicating, I think, enabled me to really develop the relationship with my doctors differently than a lot of other reps out there. Because for 20 years, I was on the top of the sales ladder. I mean, I was winning awards for the entire 20 years. To have accomplished that with the challenges I have, and then to only be fired when I was still at the top of my, not only at the top of my game, but I had been hired into the job that I really wanted. And it was a specialty job with an incredibly wonderful territory of Southern California. And, and honestly, I had planned on retiring in a short period of time. They just shortened it up a little bit. Even shortening it to that degree made a huge difference in my financial retirement plan. So, I mean, truly devastated. I had some friends who were like, hey, people lose a job all the time, you know, and you, you're falling apart. And I'm like, I know. I just, I don't know where to go from here. You know, I don't want to go back into pharmaceuticals because it's a cutthroat world. And it's a youth-oriented industry. And, you know, it's in my 50s, late 50s. And I didn't have a clue. And so to your point of things that you're saying of having a second stream of income and things like that, it's really important because I was frozen, you know, frozen within my my world of self-doubt. How am I going to live? How am I going to move on? And then, um, you know, I gave myself a, a kick in the butt finally. And I started getting out and walking every day. And it was the wintertime. And I, uh, I live in Arizona where it's beautiful in the winter. And so those daily walks became my salvation. And that's where I did my prayers, my meditation, my thinking, my quiet thinking. And I do believe that when you give yourself that time and that quiet and you allow God to enter in or whoever your higher being is, whether it be just meditating so that you can free your thought, I believe that that is where you start to create. And your ideas start to come, well, maybe I could do this. Yeah. Maybe I could, you know, go in such and such direction. And I didn't go into entrepreneur. It wasn't seamless. And it wasn't just take that step and boom, you know, I was there. Uh, I tried several different things. And it wasn't until I failed at a few and tried different things that I started to find my way towards Lemonade Legend and being a part of the author's world and publishing world and all of that. It was not something that I thought of ahead of time. It kind of came to me. 
It definitely did come to me. And over the course of time, it started with the anthology, The Lemonade Stand, because I did have a powerful story within me of what it's like to grow up with a disability. What it was like to cope with the kids in elementary school. Because, you know, kids are mean. They are. <laughs> they, they bully. <laughs> You know, that's it. Bullying is not a recent development. They've been doing it for years. But the other thing was that it entered into my career choices because, oddly enough, my personality is extrovert and I wanted to do all these different things where having the hearing loss made some of those, those career ideals more difficult. But I kind of did them anyway such as getting into pharmaceuticals. It's not easy. People understand it's not easy to get into pharmaceuticals if you don't have a disability. That's correct. So the fact that you were able to get into sales and pharmaceutical sales with a disability and be successful, that's huge. And to do it for 20 years, I mean, that's an achievement in and of itself. It is. And I thank you for saying that because I truly believe it is. And so that was part of my, you know, story, my, you know. Okay. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me say this to you. I'm a labor and employment attorney. I have been an HR executive. So I know what it takes to be successful in corporate America, in nonprofits, in public sector areas of employment. I'm not blowing smoke. When you say that you were successful and at the top of your game for 20 years in pharmaceuticals and you had a disability and you won awards, that's huge. And I know when they got rid of you, when they terminated you, when they laid you off, however they characterized it, you probably felt marginalized. But if you had thought of what you've done in the environment in which you had done it, and the very fact that you were a woman doing it and you accomplished it, all that you accomplished. You know, I tell people when something catastrophic happens, take 15 minutes for a pity party. And after that, you can't afford it. You really can't afford more than 15 minutes. And then think about what happened. Was it my fault? Is there something? Learn from it. And be honest, as objective as you can. And if you had been able to do that, you would have been walking around with your chest out. I took way longer than 15 minutes for my pity party. Oh, and, yeah. um, I and, wasn't there to tell you. But you have a very, very solid point there, because for the most part, you can't afford more than 15 minutes. And, and uh, yeah, this is life. This happens all the time. This is how we make our lemonade. But I just got stuck in that place where, you know, all that self-doubt and all those self-limiting beliefs, all those things that I had had as a child, or, or at least prior to those 20 years, they all just came flooding back to me. And it just paralyzed me, you know, to a point where I didn't know what to do and I couldn't function. But I guess the point is, is that it took me, and this is what happened, taking those daily walks. And letting my mind just be free is that that's what I did do. I went back to those 20 years and said, instead of being devastated, I got mad. Well, damn it, I'll show you. (laughs) I'm not going to let you guys get the best of me. You know, for me, that would have been the worst thing I could have done was 
to let them win. Exactly. And to let them hold me back. So it, it took me a little while, but it happened. And I didn't let other setbacks hold me, hold me back. Like I said, I tried a few things before I ended up creating Lemonade Legend, which actually, once I created it, was going incredibly strong in as little as a year's time. Wow, that's great. And what I've learned is everyone has a story. And the healing process is incredible. When you sit down and you write it, you share it, you use it to do your storytelling marketing, to brand yourself, all those different things. It's just powerful. And there are people with some of the most amazing stories I have ever heard. And then I had to sit back and say, and I was having a pity party so badly because of what I went through when I started hearing other people's stories. And, you know, it was kind of like shame on me. (laughs) So Lemonade Stand, because there are two, right? The first one is an anthology of stories. How did you go about identifying the authors? Well, it's interesting because I only knew two of them. It all came through referrals and people hearing about it. Sometimes I felt like they were literally falling in my lap. I'm like, where did you come from? (laughs) But they were all pretty amazing women, very amazing women. And, you know, I am a Christian. I have deep faith. And I do believe it was God-inspired because I just reached out to people who I knew had good connections, that this is what I'm doing. You know, if you can reach out to some of your people, see if anybody's you know, interested. And that was the way I got them, all through referrals. You know, and it wasn't like I had to weed anybody out. They were all perfect. Great. They were absolutely perfect for what I was looking for. And once I went through that process, and honestly, I'll tell you, the reason I did the anthology is because it's expensive to publish a book if you want to do it the right way. And I didn't have the money. Um, I still had a powerful need to tell my story. In brainstorming with some writing coaches, that's where we came up with the idea for the anthology. But spread the cost around and uh, create something, you know, a, a little bit like chicken soup for the soul type of a thing. And let's tell our lemon to lemonade stories. And let's show people how incredibly powerful we are. And in the process, I saw and experienced the healing that happened with these women. I mean, they were literally transformed. You created a community. Yes. And we became a community. We became bonded, friends for life. So the entire experience led me to say, I want to put myself full-time into this. The book wasn't quite finished yet. I had a lot of work in getting it completed. And I turned over, I was doing content writing at the time for uh, social media. And I turned over my client to a gentleman that I was partnering with. We didn't have an official partnership. But anyway, can you take my client because I want to focus on this. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward, it was a full-time job for me. And the business became what it has become out of that book. Now, Lemonade Legend is the corporation, the business entity and Lemonade Stand is the anthology, and Lemonade Stand 2 is the second anthology. Correct. Yeah, the LemonadeStand.com wasn't available as a domain, so then I had to say, what am I going to think of? 
So, but actually it's, it's kind of a great thing because that separates the anthology to be something on its own while I was still able to create other platforms because now as a publisher myself, I've got Lemonade Legend Publishing along with the you know TV shows and everything else. So that worked out well. So now the Lemonade Dan is simply the anthology. We are starting the third one and we're going to focus on healthcare workers and uh, give them a tribute for, Absolutely. you know. They deserve it. Uh, yeah, big time, they big time. They deserve it. And they do. Because your podcast is all about other dreams of income and things like that. I, I want to address that a little bit in saying writing a book can be an alternate dream of income. Now, you have to work at it. Nothing comes. They don't sell themselves. <laughs> uh, but nothing comes without work. I mean, that's uh, looking for a job is work. So to yeah. find a job, you have to work at it. You have to put in the time, the effort, the research. It's labor intensive. It, it really is. Um, and the books themselves also become an important resource for enhancing whatever you are currently doing in business. Then, you know, you use that as a marketing resource. So there's a lot of reason to write a book. But in and of itself, it can be a secondary form of income. The other thing that I've done is because of pharmaceuticals, and I was paid very, very well, and um, I'm, I'm a conservative person. I was never into fashion and things like that. My husband and I, you know, saved money. And in the end, we took some of that nest egg and we bought properties that were in vacation locations. So we do vacation rentals. We even have a place in Wisconsin that's just a straight rental. So, you know, it's not always an easy thing to do. It's easy to say, go buy property. (laughs) Not everybody has that kind of money, but I want to give a shout out to that being a great source of passive income. Again, but it takes work to be a landlord too. So like you said, when I bought my first house, I listened to a family friend that said, don't buy a one family house first, get income. I don't want to be a landlord, but that was the best advice he gave me. As one of my girlfriend's husbands said to me, he said, you know, Beverly, this house has been better to you than many of your friend's husbands have been to them. And I I looked at him and I said, you know, you're right. That was the best advice from the family friend I'd gotten. I was in law school. I bought the house. And then I started law school. Don't ask me. It just happened like that. And I had excellent tenants because I did due diligence. It worked out so well that I would not have been able to afford that house by myself. But with somebody downstairs to pay half the mortgage, it worked for me. And that was an investment that really worked out well. I would just say, you know, don't limit yourself because you don't believe you have the budget to do it. Look at the different options that there might be out there. But the credit is critical. You know, whatever you do, don't get involved in frivolously in purchases. You know, just try to keep your credit rating as high as you possibly can. Pay your bills on time because you never know when you're going to need to make a purchase and you don't want to be told that you can't. Exactly. Yeah, I believe in that 100%. But I wanted to say that, you know, that's been my experience of alternate, you know, streams of income. And I've learned 
in my later years how important that is. Because when you're in a job like pharmaceuticals and you're getting paid well, you're getting benefits, you're getting all these kinds of things, you just get spoiled. And you don't think about that. You take things for granted. Yes. And when you're working hard, you're producing, you don't think that the anvil is going to fall on your head. You know, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're delivering the goods and you just don't think. But what I advise people to do, especially in this day and age, pay attention to what's going on around you. Pay attention to what you read in trade papers, in magazines, what you see on television. Listen to, watch and listen to the business uh, TV shows and radio shows. Follow the media. Listen to what's going on. And when you see that people around you are getting laid off, don't think it won't happen to you. But for the grace of God, it could be you. And then maybe it will be you if you don't pay attention. Because you may not be able to stop them or get them to change the decision they made, but you can position yourself so that you don't have the experience that you have. It's like, so what are we getting? So is it a severance package? Because you're halfway out the door or you've already looked for another place to land or you've decided to go into business for yourself. You've been doing the work so that you have and can make a smooth transition so that you don't go through the angst and self-doubt that comes when you haven't been paying attention to what's going on around. But few people really do that, right? (laughs) But that's what I I strongly suggest they do. And making friends with people, employees, co-workers in other departments. Because a lot of times sharing information or just hearing what's going on in other departments is useful. Being able to get a strong referral from somebody in another department. You might not get it from the boss that fired you, but you might be able to get it from somebody within the company. But if you've been doing a really good job, as it sounds that you were, sounds like you were, people will not, okay, there's something called defamation. They can't lie. If they lie, there can be consequences. So they'll tell the truth. And you've got performance reviews. And that's the other thing. People don't keep their records. You know, if if your boss says, oh, she didn't do her job. If you have a performance review that says you were a stellar, here, what is he talking about? This is my performance review. You know, I also suggest that people become their own HR person. Keep records, digital or otherwise. You need to have records of everything that you've done. Well, suppose the place burns down. When you get old enough to collect Social Security, who's going to be able to say that you worked at whatever job for how many years? You may need to be have to prove that you did. It doesn't. Well, and I kept for all those twenty years from the very, very beginning. I kept a brag book because that's what you do when you go to an interview is you brag about yourself, right? So I did put my performance reviews. I made photocopies of every award I won. And all those things went into the brag book so that when I went into an interview, you know, I had a... I love that. (laughs) And you know what? Most of the time, they didn't even want to sit and go through it. They would just look at it and they would know, they would see the thickness of it and the fact that I had it. They just went... That's right. You got it, you know? I like that. 
I'm going to use that. I'll give you attribution. (laughs) (laughs) But I like that. And see, unless you can prove something, it almost didn't happen the way someone else said, the way you say it, it occurred. It's your word against somebody else's word. But if you have documentation, contemporaneously prepared documentation or historical documentation, then it wins. Well, it speaks for itself. Exactly. You've carried the day. And unfortunately, people think, oh, well, you know, they have employee portals. Oh, it's on the portal. Does the portal belong to you? Nope. Of course it doesn't. What happens? And you're gone, you're, you're locked out of that portal. <laughs> so now tell us about what you're doing now, the TV shows that you're producing. That's taking a little bit more to get off the ground, and that's my bad more than anything, I, just because I'm, I'm juggling a lot of balls. Zondra Evans, who is the owner of Zondra TV Network, she's great. She has a whole year-long, I don't want to call it a quarantine, it's not a quarantine, but it, a year-long program. Incubator, that's what she calls it, that in which she teaches people how to go through the process of producing their own TV show. And for me, it became another platform because, again, trying to build the largest storytelling network, distribution network in the world, and that was Zonda that came up with that name, that mission, TV was just a natural thing because, you know, nobody has regular TV anymore. Like, I grew up with channel three, five, 10, 12, whatever. And nobody has regular TV. You know, they have Roku, they have Hulu, they watch Netflix. Now the streaming platforms, I mean, every major network has its own streaming platform. Exactly, exactly. So what Zonda has is she has contracted with eight different streaming platforms. The opportunity is to produce 30-minute television show and she uploads it into Zonda TV Network. So it's accessible either through ZondaTV.com or it's accessible through Roku, Amazon TV, Apple TV. Anyway, she's got, I believe, seven. So I'm just getting that off the ground. And two of them, Legendary Leaders, which is authors, because... I don't know. I've loved books all my life. And uh, that was my lifelong dream is to be an author. And, you know, authors are amazing people. So I wanted a platform in which you uh, spotlight authors. And as a publisher, I definitely want to spotlight my authors, my book. So it's interview style. And Lemonade Life is, is interview style. And it's more about just sharing of your lemon to lemonade story. Because Face it, we all have them. We all probably have five or six or eight of them. <laughs> yeah. Because life's not easy. You yeah. Know? It happens. It happens. And so it's just another platform for me. Again, it's going to take a lot of work to get the exposure and the following. But the potential, uh, because she has something like 50 million followers in general for Zondra TV Network. Now, I have to find the way to capture That doesn't mean 50 million people are watching mine, but it means that that is the pool in which potentially I can tap into. Right, exactly. And to your point, everybody has a story. I'm surprised by how many people want to be authors. Everybody has a book, it seems to me, you know, especially because we met on that Maximum Sales book. 
I'm, I'm surprised. I'm listening to people talk about what they're writing about. And I'm like, wow, okay. I would have never thought of that. There's a burning need to share their stories, their beliefs, their travels. I'm impressed. And that validates you as a person when you're able to put something down on paper, you know, organize it in such a way that it can be entertaining, informative, educational, whatever your topic is. But yeah, it's a real sense of validation of who I am as a person when I'm able to put my story down. I did, the first book I did uh, was self-published. And you're right, it's not cheap to self-publish. It really isn't. In retrospect, if I had it to do all over again, I would have delayed doing it and I would have tried more to find a publisher, a literary agent and a publisher. But I didn't, so I, I published it myself. And I found that I was fortunate enough to sell 1,400 copies to an event. It was a dinner, you know, 10 people at a round table, and there were like 1,400 people there. Everybody got a book. And I was signing the books after the event, and this guy says to me, somebody asked me for a business card, and the guy says, she doesn't need a business card. This book is her business card. (laughs) And I said, he's right. I hadn't thought of it that way. So, you know, there's just so many different ideas that you would never have thought of. At least I would never have thought of it that way. But he's right. That's what it is. I think people, in fact, I'm toying right now with the idea of writing my story about pharmaceuticals. Got a lot of unique twists and turns in it. But you can literally write really about anything. It's about finding your market you know, who's your avatar, your ideal person that be interested in what you're writing about. And if you do your homework, you're going to figure out if there's a market out there and then market to that group. Right. And but if, if you're feeling a passionate need to get this story out, you may not even consider a market. It may be cathartic. You know, I need to do this. And, the, and I hear some of that on the webinars we do, you know. Like, yeah, I have a couple of clients that published and it really, the end result wasn't how many books they sold. The end result was it was important to get their story out. Yes, one, exactly. one was about, you know, a Vietnam vet who was on his deathbed and he wanted so badly to have his story put out there before he died. And I mean, we just barely made it. <laughs> but he was so at peace yeah. at that point. And and in fact, we all knew he was hanging on just to, for the book yeah. to get published because within a couple of days he was gone. But he was truly at peace because he knew his story was out there and it was his legacy. It's not always about money. No, and it isn't. And fortunate, it's fortunate that you all were able to give him that. It, it was truly a wonderful feeling to get to yeah. give a gift like that on someone's deathbed is that exactly. I will tell you it, it's a pretty amazing feeling. Now I want to ask, we're talking in 2021 in the middle, I thought it was the end of a pandemic, but it sounds like we're not done yet. <laughs> but in retrospect, knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently as you move through your employment journeys, the choices you made after leaving the pharmaceutical industry, the different businesses you're involved in? Is there anything you would do differently? 
I think the only thing I might do different would be to have listened to my gut earlier on because I definitely going down the path of writing, and that's how I ended up with doing the content writing. But I, I didn't believe in myself enough to say I could write a book or I could collaborate in a book or I could be a part of publishing or anything like that. I stayed small. And by staying small, it was like, I can write a little blog or a little paragraph that goes on a social media site. I can do that. Yeah. And so I did not have the faith in myself. And then I did not follow the gut that just do it. Just get out there and do it. And you know, if you fall on your face, you fall on your face. Pick yourself back up again. You know, a lot of people don't succeed right out of the gate. You know, it's trial and error. Like you say, you you fall, you pick yourself up. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the self-confidence to say, okay, I have to get up and try it again or try something else. It becomes defeating. And they think of it as who they are as opposed to rising above it and slapping it down and saying, I can do this. You know, I think that The people in our lives help us with that. I think encouragement from others is helpful. To that point, yeah, sometimes our family and our friends become our worst enemy when we decide we want to do something unconventional, do something entrepreneurial, or, you know, they're like, why don't you just get a job? That's safer. It's a paycheck. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can do both. Now, depending on where you are in life, if you've got student loans. And you know what I'm saying? You may need that job just so you can start paying off those loans. But as I tell young people, you're young. You could do two things. You can have two jobs. You know, if you have a job from nine to five, you can have a part-time job. Well, you, I shouldn't have to work a part-time job. Why not? You're young. Yeah, exactly. Why not? But I will also say that at some point, you're very right. You have to consider what are my obligations, my debt, you know, do I have kids, all these things that you have to consider. But at some point in time, it's the right time to say, what do I love? Because if you do what you love, the money will come. And I remember years ago when I was in college, I fell in love with anthropology. That was my favorite subject. And which shouldn't be so surprising because it's really the study of people and behaviors. And that's what I'm doing now. People and their behaviors. I have a friend who's a professor of anthropology at a college in, um, I think she retired, a college in Maryland. Yeah. But you know what I did back then is I said, I'm not going to major in anthropology. How am I going to make money? I'm not going to be the next Margaret Mead. Why not? I'm not going to make money. Why not? So I chose not to. And so I would go back and tell that self if I could. That you can. You love it. You stay with it, and it will lead you to the path where the money will come. Or, if not the money, the recognition and the satisfaction, if you're that passionate about it. Margaret Mead, I don't know, did she make a lot of money? I don't know. Margaret Mead. Oh, did did she make money? You know, I don't know, but she sure got the recognition. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, you know... I don't know. I think as we get older, we realize what's important and what is it. When we're younger, I think that we're driven by external forces, <laughs> what we see on television. 
And, you know, especially now with all the reality shows that are out there, the young people want a, a red carpet event. Everybody yeah. wants a red carpet event. And, you know, later on, you realize I, if I had had that money, I could have invested it in something. I could have yeah. bought a house, <laughs> put a down payment on a house. Just, make, you know, we make different choices when we know better. We do. And, you know, as far as um, those of us who are older getting towards retirement and whatnot, you know, it's a different world, too, because we're not going to get the gold watch. We're not going to get the pension. We're not going to get all those things that once upon a time was guaranteed if you just showed up every day and did your job. And we're not going to because we're not going to have that same job long enough to get a pension. Right. Because they're going to transition people out. That's what happens. I don't know. That's what they do. What advice would you give our listeners? My advice goes right back to what I do. And that is write down your story. Even if you don't want to share it, that's okay. And the reason I say this is because it's a powerful thing for to go from your head down onto paper. It's a whole different experience of your own story because things start coming out as you're writing that you didn't remember or you would push back. And once you really have that story, then you have the whole why behind who you are and why you do what you do. Out of your story comes your why and your purpose. And when you're able to see that, you're better able to see, is the job I'm in now the right one? Does it fit my why and my purpose? Should I seek out now that I have a better understanding who I am? Because it is our story that shapes us, shapes our values, our behaviors, likes and dislikes, all kinds of things. And I think it's a very revealing thing to understand. You might not change a thing, but you would at least embrace yourself with some self-love. Because when you say... That's my story, and I lived through it. You can't help but love yourself. I like ending on that note. It's so positive. Thank you so much, Michelle. I so enjoyed this. I hope we can do it again, and I hope we don't have to repeat this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because there's always more to talk about. Always. Yes. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.